Hi, this is Mike McNamara, and you're listening to All Marine Radio on your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. edition of All Marine Radio, right here on your magical home for it. Yeah, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. So, welcome to the House of All Marine Radio. Very proudly the home of post-traumatic winning. I got to tell you, man, I'm uh, pretty proud of that. And, in fact, another seminar group starts tonight, and I'm very excited about that. Um, And so, um, yeah, we did the graduate thing. We do the graduate thing on Monday night. And that's, like, always, always interesting because these – um, and what's most interesting about that is um, 
is these people have kind of learned uh, the, how do I say it? They've learned the, they've learned the tricks of, they've learned what the path is of post-traumatic winning. And so now they're putting it to use in their life. And I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you, man. It is, <laughs> it's fascinating, fascinating to watch um, just their growth on a weekly basis and being put into situations um, that used to overwhelm them, uh, used to completely derail their day, and now that doesn't happen. So, yeah. So if you know anybody that this might help, I mean, I, I'd, I'd encourage you right out the right out of the box to encourage them to come. And, you know, I used to tell people that had been through the program, you know, if you, if you know somebody, you know, I trust you. If you want somebody to watch the videos, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, and I don't, I don't encourage that anymore. I will do that as a last resort. And here's why. What you learn from the discussions is I would tell you as important as, um, what you actually learn. Well, I, let me take that back. Um, I think what precedes all of this growth is the intellectual understanding of the path that post-traumatic winning lays out. And I think that's hugely important. It is without a doubt the most important thing that happens that in your brain housing group, right in that thing, you, you, um, you know, with certainty that there is a path there and that you can walk it. That, that is by far going away. The most important thing that happens. Yep. The most important thing that happens. So, um, and then everything else proceeds from that. So I don't, so the discussions I would say are indispensable to taking that, that thought and, and the wisdom that comes with it and just making it much deeper and much wider. But in terms, so they are, they go together in my mind and the discussions are, are, are great. And, and, and the other thing I think that's very inspirational for people is the, you see people grow week to week. Yeah. Crazy. So anyway, I did that last night and it was very cool. It was very cool. We were talking about breathing and this kind of novel thought of using a breath to interrupt but great epiphany for me, and and I'm sure there's people that you've heard like, oh, you know, you got to breathe. But what happens after you go through the program is you have this wisdom in your head, right? But what tends to be the problem is whether it's anxiety or anger, you have these things in you. How do you derail that getting sucked out to see in anxiety, sucked into the sea of anger how do you actually stop that and the first thing that has to happen is you have to know the path is there and you have to know that you can walk it that intellectual understanding is the most fundamental piece of the whole thing once you know that path is there though and you know that you could do it you will get this thought that goes in your head when you're being sucked into the ocean of anxiety or sucked into the vortex of anger 
And you'll get this thought that says, take a breath. And that act of breathing, that little thought there, triggers a breath that interrupts. And in that interrupted space um, is a better decision. And you know it. I say I know it before the lung, the air gets completely seated in my lungs. And so, so to me, what I find fascinating about all of this, and somebody, and somebody said this last night, her name's Kim Hagley, but she used the Frankel quote, right? Um, between something happening and our response, there's a space. In that space is our power to choose our response. In our response lies our growth and our freedom. Okay? And and what I say in the presentation is, I believe that, you know, probably three-quarters of us, the way we deal with trauma is we fake it and we self-medicate with alcohol. Does that sound like growth and freedom to you? Well, it sure is fuck doesn't sound like growth and freedom to me, right? I guess it all depends on what your definition of is is. Um, But (laughs) that's not my definition for sure. So what Kim did last night was she, she talked about this interrupting slash triggering breath in the context of Frankel's quote. Okay. So between stimulus and response, there's a space. Okay, what happens if the way you find that space in which you choose a response is in that, in that space or creating that space is you have to under, intellectually understand the path and you have to understand that the breath is the triggering mechanism and the, it triggers this whole positive, you know, string of events that the breath triggers an interrupted cycle and then a better choice. So in that space is our power to choose our response and what creates the space, the intellectual understanding and taking a breath. And then, right, making the better decision in that space, right, in that lies our growth and our freedom, which is the Frankel quote. So, um, the blueprint of how you actually do it. So, anyway, I know, I know. Mac, you're dorking out over this stuff. Um, No, but let me tell you, if you could see um, and have the conversations that I have with people, um, yeah, you would not be saying that. You wouldn't be saying that. I'm telling you, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Um, Jeff Kenny's going to join me here a little bit. Uh, you know, drone strike in western Iraq and uh, against targets in Iraq and on the Syrian side of the border. And so uh, I, I want to talk about that. You know, what is going on there? Why? Are we, first of all, what do we still have left there? We'll talk about that. And... Um, and then after we talk about that, we'll go ahead and uh, we'll talk about what's at, what's at risk there. Okay, what's at risk there? 
And so um, what's at risk there is the um, aviation assets out west, a base called Al-Assad, and the threat is drones. So, so what is that threat? How are they using drones? Which I, I think is fairly interesting because, you know, what you saw in Iraq was the weaponization of some pretty crude technology, right? So what you saw was the union of a, you know, at the start, it was a piece of ordnance, a blasting cap, and a cell phone that would trigger the ordnance. And so if you don't understand how the, those IEDs got made, um, pretty crude devices at the time. But they were highly effective, right? Here's the United States of America fighting war against a cell phone, um, a piece of ordnance, an artillery shell, and so, and a blasting cap. And they're able to cause a lot of casualties among American forces, tied the United States down in this very, very low technology war. And so drones are an extension of that. So you take a drone swarm, if you will, if you can get a bunch of them, and you put a piece of ordnance on it, a small piece of ordnance. Ideally, it would be a bit of a shape charge. So it, 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 when it detonates, it fires in one direction. So you mass its explosive power. And then you go looking for sensitive sites. You go looking for communication towers. You go looking for um, aircraft. And you... You send your swarm of, let's just say you can get 50 of these things up in the air. And let's just say maybe a third of them can hit a target. Right? Now, you don't have to, you know, you, it doesn't have to be the great mushroom cloud to degrade something's performance and make it non-combat capable. Right? Especially an aircraft. I mean, those things are China dolls. Um... And, you know, when you blow a hole in them, you know, there's, that's no joke. So anyway, uh, so we'll talk about, you know, a little bit about what we've seen in terms of open reporting and whatnot. So, so Jeff will join me here in a little bit. We'll talk about that. Uh, we'll check the news of the day uh, on this uh, 29th day. It's going to be July, if you can believe that. That's hard for me to believe. Uh, Chris Woodbridge going to join us. Woody been out traveling, so we'll catch up with Chris Woodbridge and the Marine Corps Gazette tomorrow. Grant Newsham will join me Monday. Well, the Mensa Brothers on Thursday. And then uh, hopefully Kim and Greg on Friday. And then uh, Greg Lotus join me. Uh, I'm sorry. Grant Newsham going to join me on Monday. And I don't know what I'm working on for Tuesday. So, uh, so we continue to discuss life here. And uh, world events, world inside the DOD and... You know, All Marine Radio likes to talk about the Marine Corps. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we'll keep track of anything that changes relative to the budget fights. Uh, the Marine Corps had a very critical point in General Berger's uh, uh, Force Design 2030 program. And uh, essentially told them, I have rung everything I can, I can ring out of the Marine Corps. And, you know, we need more money. So we'll see if Congress responds to that. Um, so on this... Uh, on this Tuesday morning, good morning to you. The United States Marine Corps Band makes this morning official. Good morning.
and this is dedicated to some people that showed up last night for the first time. And, uh, you know, it's uh, pretty cool stuff that I do. And there is no experience, and it never gets old, um, like helping somebody else see something that they've never been able to see and see an actual path that they can walk and hearing the excitement in their voice. Uh, So this is dedicated to a couple of people last night who are, are doing great things with their lives. And and the most wonderful part about all of this is what they in turn, the people that gravitate to post-traumatic winning tend to be, you know, people that are struggling but really want to help other people not go through what they did. And so what's really exciting is the way they help other people, the way they help other people. There's one guy named Jeff. I did, a, uh, I did an interview with him, uh, and uh, I'll, I'll put the link up on the, on my website. So you, if you want to watch the interview, you can watch it. Um, but Jeff's a, uh, you know, he's a recovering alcoholic. I think that's a, the, the appropriate term. But since Sun Saturday, I want to say probably over a dozen people have signed up to do post-traumatic winning based on that interview. And so here's a guy who was struggling with his issue for a long time, in a very private way, didn't want anybody to know about it. And now, the more he talks about it, the more people's lives he said. And so, um, just one of the people that this is dedicated to, but there's a couple other, I won't name them. And, um, and it's just amazing to watch their growth on a daily basis. Um, and then how they touch the lives of other people. That's, I mean, like I say, I'm the coolest guy I know because this is my life every day. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you just roll around and, and shaking your head wondering, so how does it get better tomorrow? And then, sure as shit, it does. And so, um, yeah, the whole personification of it's a wonderful life. That's, yeah, that's what I'm living. It's a wonderful life. And, and again, so much of it, you know, furnished to me by other people that are touched by, you know, the the wisdom that if you've listened to this thing for a long time, uh, you've heard most of the interviews that shape post-traumatic winning. You know, guys like Jack Riley, guys like Matt Kiker, guys like Parker, you know, um, all these different people that have come on and uh, and really made a dent in my head. Uh, which was which spawned this thing that I call post-traumatic winning. So, uh, yeah, this is dedicated to all those people and just uh, their inherent goodness. And uh, and uh, and I can't tell you, you know, how proud I am when you see that. You know, it's the same feeling that you have as a parent when you see your kids doing good stuff. All of a sudden, you see somebody and it just you're just so proud of them, and then. And then you watch what they do, and you see their innate goodness. And like I say, it's it's. I used to say good on top of good on top of good on top of good. It's not that. It's great on top of great on top of great on top of great on top of great. And it just keeps getting bigger, which is really exciting to be able to help more people. So, um, yeah, to all that goodness, this is dedicated. <laughs>
you're betraying your whole life if you don't say what you think and you don't say it honestly and bluntly what keeps you awake at night nothing i keep other people awake at night for this campus had prepared him well <clears throat> i'm very confident that thank you very much <clears throat> if this was vodka it'd be a lot better speech <clears throat> <clears throat> but I'm not supposed to glamorize alcohol anymore, so young folks, you ignore what I just said. We just have to execute. And we are executing every day, and Sergeant Major and I are very proud of what you do. Doesn't mean we can't get better. We don't, we don't want to make a mistake to learn. We don't want to lose to learn. We cannot lose if we have to go fight. We got to do what these Marines did here 75 years ago. Persevere against difficult challenging conditions and odds to win. You gotta win. Alright, we'll check the weather around Marine Land, currently in Quantico, in the DC area, just south of it. It is mostly sunny and eighty six degrees. Whoa. Marine Corps Base Camp Lejeune down the coast in North Carolina, actually cooler, which is odd. It is mostly sunny in 84. 29 Palms, sunny in 92 already. In the high desert, Camp Pendleton, partly sunny, 65. That's pretty normal. Camp Smith, dark, clear in 68 in Hawaii. Okinawa, dark, cloudy in 78. Okinawa is having some severe wind and rain, so they've got a couple weather advisories. Down towards the South China Sea in Manila in the Philippines, it is dark, cloudy, and 83. And over in Darwin, southwest of the Philippines, as we pivot to the Pacific. Yeah, Norway got shit-canned. It is clear, dark, and 74. So cooler in Darwin at the home of All Marine Radio. It is cloudy and 67 here. In the Costa Mesa, Newport Beach area of Southern California. Looking for a high today of 73. Today, tomorrow, 75 on Thursday, 77 on Friday, 75 on Saturday. So, um, my kind of weather. Not going to lie to you. The, um, we'll take a look at the news headlines now. Stars and Stripes top headline is open and available. U.S. Navy and partners proceed with Black Sea drills over Russian objections. Um, yeah. The Russians. Again, this is Vladimir Putin's, right, um, kabuki dance. So, um, yeah, with rhetoric, you know, trying to change, you know, the narrative of the world, much like the Chinese try to do in the South China Sea, or the whole argument for Taiwan. Go look at the relationship between mainland China and the island of Formosa, Taiwan, whatever you you want to, historically I'm talking about. And you're going to see that they have no claim to that island. But it it just goes to show you, if you say it long enough, you know, hopefully people will, uh, hopefully people will uh, begin to parrot it. And they do. And they do. So, that in the news. Um, Another story in Stars and Stripes, you saw that there was a Marine shot in Times Square, right? Well, it's kind of a unique story, right? 
Marine officer. He's second lieutenant, graduate of the Citadel. So non-life-threatening gunshot wound, right? Hit in the back by a stray bullet in Times Square. I mean, and, and you, I don't know, you've probably seen the video. It's been all over the place. But you're watching this, right? And this is what defund the police gets you. But again, as I've said before, the nation's got to go through this. And people who don't understand what happens when you do this, they have to learn this lesson. Now, uh, which is fine, unless your life is impacted by this stuff, unless you get shot in the back, or unless somebody in your family gets murdered, then it's not so fine. But you have to explain this to politicians who stand up and, and say defund the police, right, and cut their budgets and things like that. And uh, and then what you're, what you're going to see is you'll see a decline in tourism, which means people's businesses are going to go under. And it's just amazing. Just amazing. I'll tell you what. Um, they Yesterday, um, there was a whole montage of footage. Okay. There's a whole montage of footage of shootings captured by, you know, so many businesses now have cameras out in front of them. And, I mean, some of it is just, there was one, I think it happened in Detroit, and this dude's chase sees this guy who's with his maybe two little sisters. One of them looks like she's like 11 or 12, and the other one might be six or seven. And this dude comes running up. The the guy who he's trying to shoot looks like a teenager, might be 16, 17, with his two little sisters. He sees him. He tries to run. He trips and falls, right? The guy starts shooting. The 11-year-old girl, right, she dives to the ground. The little girl runs for her brother, and the 11-year-old grabs the little girl and pulls her to her and probably keeps her from being murdered. And you're just watching this going, you got to be kidding me. And this, that's the narrative in Chicago on, you know, what, a nightly basis. Defund the police. Yeah, right. Um, uh, from the Wall Street Journal, the Uni- United Airlines is, going, is betting on world travel recovery, uh, put in an order for 200 Boeing 737 MAX jets, and 70 larger Airbus A321neos. So, how about, yeah, that's huge, man. That's absolutely huge. And then, uh, obviously, more nudes coming out of Miami as they continue to look at uh, why a building fell there. And so, um, so yeah, that, that story is horrible and gets worse. Uh, top stories in USNI News. Six littoral combat ships to deploy by year's end as Navy continues to refine its operations. The littoral combat ship. Yeah, an interesting concept by the Navy. But anyway, uh, the Navy will have six littoral combat ships deployed by the end of the year. A record for the program. Later this year, two Independence-class Latour combat ships, the USS Tulsa and the USS Charleston. In the Western Pacific, Two ships, the two ships kicked off an expansive deployment across the Western Pacific earlier this year that began in Oceana 
and has range to as far as the Indian Ocean. The other littoral combat ships will deploy soon to the U.S. Southern Command later this year, where they mostly do drug interdiction. Um, let's see. This is the 4th Fleet Rear Admiral Donald Gabrielson. As a platform, the littoral combat ships got a lot of utility in the kind of work we're doing, which from a naval perspective is about building the capacity and capability of our partners in the region. We've got a lot of success on that front. The ships are doing the other things that people would expect here as well, the detection and monitoring of the Joint Interagency Task Force South, which is the counter-narcotics mission, which also includes a lot of partner interaction. We've got 23 different nations that are connected in that effort. So the Latour Combat Ship, yeah, much ridiculed, I might add. Uh, so that is in the news. Uh, here's another article. Taiwan sovereignty, key to Western Pacific security, says a Japanese defense official. Now, Grant has talked about this. Grant will join us on Monday. But Grant has talked about this, saying, you know, it's interesting that China's coming to the realization that, you know, they are linked to Taiwan, whether they like it or not. Right? That Taiwan's defense is Japan's defense. So I thought that was interesting. Um, and then the name of the exercise that's going on in the Black Sea is uh, Sea Breeze 2021. So 30 other nations, along with the U.S. and the Ukraine, are uh, are exercising. So that you, I, no doubt, have seen in the news. The um, We talked about yesterday, General Dunford getting a streets uh, a street name for him general joseph f dunford drive gonna happen in quincy massachusetts um other story you've heard of bagram air base right uh for a couple decades now so this is an associated press story uh that talks about this you know, name that's been in the American headlines for 20 years is about to uh, is about to go away. For nearly 20 years, Bagram Airfield was the heart of American military power in Afghanistan, a sprawling mini city behind fences and blast walls, just an hour drive north of Kabul. Initially, it was a symbol of the U.S. drive to avenge the September 11th attacks, then it of its struggle for a way through the ensuing war with the Taliban. In just a matter of days, the, US, the last U.S. troops will depart Bagram. They are leaving what probably everyone connected to the base, whether Americans or Afghans, considers a mixed legacy. So, yeah, so again, stand by for the painful video of what will happen to Afghanistan. Um, and, you know, one only hopes that um, these promises that the President of the United States is making, that somehow or other, that um, the United States and its allies can somehow make good on that and that the Afghan people can live in peace, uh, governed by themselves. But were I a betting man, I would bet that um, that, that is not going to happen. Um, retaliation, uh, this is Marine Corps Times, retaliation for the, uh, for the attacks over the weekend, 
Headline, no injuries in rocket attack on U.S. troops in Syria. Authorities are investigating an attack involving multiple rockets at a U.S. base in Syria, a CENTCOM spokesman confirmed on Twitter. The rockets landed at approximately 7.44 local time. Quote, there were no injuries. Damage is being assessed. The U.S. forces return fire with counter-battery artillery. So what that tends to mean is somebody shoots something, and for those of you who want to understand counter-battery radar, uh, we have radars up. And um, when somebody shoots something, that rocket, mortar, or whatever, or artillery piece, will break the radar beam on the way up, and on the way down. And you will get a poo, a point of origin, and a POI, point of impact. So your counter-battery radars plot that. And within seconds, you will have the grid coordinate that whoever shot at is at. And then the question is, can you get your guns on it and shoot before they move? And sometimes, a lot of time, it isn't so much um, you want to kill them, but you're trying to make them move so they can't drop a second volley that would be more accurate on your on your ass. So, yeah, believe it or not, uh, when we got to Iraq, uh, General Mattis had, had spoken poorly about the Army and shooting counter-battery fire and blah, blah, blah. So we're sitting at lunch. And these Army officers, and they were 82nd Airborne guys, good guys. Um, and so <laughs> we're at lunch. It's like, hey, man, why is your CG ripping us for shooting counter-battery? And I can't remember somebody tried to give Joe Mass, and they're like, we don't shoot to kill them. Like, if we don't, normally when they shoot that stuff, they'll shoot three or four rounds, right? And we're like, okay. And they said, if we don't shoot counter-battery fire, they'll then level the bubble up, which on mortars, you know, gets it back to its primary shooting data, because every time you drop a round in it, the mortar moves. And then they would drop another four, bubble up another four, if we don't shoot. So we're not trying to kill them. We're trying to make them move. And we're sitting there like, oh, got it. Well, I don't know that any of us are going to tell him that, but we appreciate the knowledge. Um, top five stories in early bird, and then you'll hear Jeff Kenny talking about the strikes in, in, in Iraq, what we still have there a little bit, and then uh, and this whole technology of drones and what they're capable of. So anyway. Um, you'll hear Jeff this morning. Uh, number one, U.S. warns the Islamic State. U.S. warns that Islamic State extremists is still a world th- threat. So that in the news. Number two, moderate Democrat Democrats rebuke the defense budget cuts. So um, that's interesting because if you paid attention to the the audio I played last week, um, you will see that. Um, you'll see that a lot of what the United States is is talking about trying to do with China can't be accomplished in um, with President Biden's budget. Okay, leaders of the House Blue Dog Coalition, which is um, conservative Democrats, say they oppose calls to fund less than the requested 
753 billion national defense budget for fiscal 2022 which includes 715 billion for the Pentagon. The stance adds fuel to an already complicated budget debate where Democrats are split and key Republicans are pushing for a boost. Quote, we believe this is a strong and sensible funding request and we oppose calls to authorized or appropriate funding below this level, the six lawmakers said in a June 24th letter to leaders of the House Armed Service Committee and the House Appropriations Committee. The letter, now this is because the House is so important, so close, right? This is important, right? Representatives Mikey Sherrill of New Jersey, Tom O'Halloran of Arizona, Stephanie Murphy of Florida, Ed Case of Hawaii, Abigail Spanberger of Virginia, and Kurt Schrader of Oregon. The group of six is significant in the House, where the 220 to 211 partisan split means Democrats can only lose four members on any party line vote. The letter comes as some Democrats worry that the appropriations bill will have difficulty garnering garnering the necessary support to advance before the August recess. Quote, my understanding is that it isn't just my bill that's in trouble, just appropriations across the board, Appropriations Subcommittee on Homeland Security Chairwoman Lucille Roy Ballard told Congressional Quarterly on Wednesday, a lot of subcommittees are having problems for different reasons. And again, um, the President of the United States is increasing funding like a, you know, like I don't even know what you could, you know, liken it to across the board, except for defense, right? Except for defense. So um, what you're seeing is a pushback of moderate Democrats, So, which will make the d- debate uh, very interesting. Uh, I talked about this before, but the third story in the top five is Seabreeze 21, which is the exercise at the Black Sea, begins in the Black Sea after Russia threatens to fire on intruding warships. Again, this is Dr. Evil bloviating, right? Puffing his chest out, a temp member. With an economy smaller than the economy of Canada, not so much there. But he's the master of it, okay? He's the master of it. Uh, story number four, no injuries in the rocket attack on U.S. troops in Syria. We talked about that. Number five, Air Force activates its first-of-a-kind wing for Spectrum. What is Spectrum? So we're going to find out about it. The Air Force officially activated June 25th a new and first-of-its-kind wing aimed at the increasing importance of the electromagnetic spectrum. The 350th, how do they get that number? I mean, to me, 350th means we had 349 before this. When you're the first, so the, it's the 350th spectrum warfare wing which has been in the works for more than a year, received a designation to start work from Air Combat Command on June 25th. The group hopes to enable, equip, and optimize the fielding of the electromagnetic spectrum capabilities with the aim of providing a sustainable and competitive advantage in the non-physical realm. The wing will also provide maintenance, operational, and technical expertise 
for electronic warfare support. The wing is headquartered in Eglin Air Force Base, while a permanent location is chosen. It reports to the Air Force Warfare Center, which performs operational test evaluation, tactics development, and advanced training. I'll read you one more paragraph. I think it's interesting, right, this whole... Because, again, if you lose here, if you lose in space, it just cascades downward. Can't use your satellites, can't communicate, can't do all the things we do, right? It goes south quick. Quote, the competition in the electromagnetic spectrum is more important than ever before. The joint force is connected by and delivers effects in and through the electromagnetic spectrum says the commander of the 350th Spectrum Warfare Wing, Colonel William Young. He continues, If we lose the fight in the EMS, we lose the fights in all other domains. We're here to help make sure that doesn't happen. Standing up this unit emphasizes the Air Force's commitment to consolidating and modernizing our entire enterprise so the joint warfighters have freedom to attack, maneuver, and protect themselves at the time, place, and parameters of their choosing. You know what? That's no joke. That's no joke. So, um, yeah. So, I, you know, even though Marines tend not to kind of be into this stuff, it's the more you study, uh, you know, modern warfare, peer warfare, you better be good in space. So, uh, that is a look at your news. Um, I recorded this with Jeff Kenny a little bit ago. And so he came on. I asked him to come on. And, um, he's an advisor. He served in Western Iraq. And uh, and talk about, um, you know, this kind of a strike. And then we ultimately get into, a, I, I think, a pretty interesting policy discussion of, if you recall, the game that Iran wants to play with you is, they send proxies to kill you. You take out your anger on the proxy. They don't give a shit. They'll do that forever. But Donald, President Trump turned the table on that when he killed Soleimani. And Iran got very quiet for an extended period of time and has only emerged from that after the election of Joe Biden, right? The little kerfuffle in Israel recently. And now you're seeing other shit going on. Well, if you recall, that not so much has happened in the last year. Why? Because the message that got sent was that, hey, when this kind of stupid shit happens, we're not going for them, or we'll go for them, and then we're going to come get you. You, Iran, will pay for it, because we know these are your proxies. So so we have a discussion about that. So without further ado, Jeff Kenny. I want to have Jeff Kenny on this morning and talk about um, the whole drone thing and uh, talk about, you know, our current presence in uh, in Iraq. And we saw these drone strikes uh, over the... Uh, we, we saw these airstrikes over the, over the weekend uh, in western Iraq and into uh, Syria on the other side. And, uh, and so I wanted to talk to Jeff and bring him on and just kind of paint a picture of where we are in Iraq today, and uh, and then the the danger 
of drone strikes um, as an emerging technology to conventional forces. And so Jeff Kenny joins us this morning. Jeff, uh, how are you doing? Good, Matt. Good morning. Uh, well, again, we can't even start the interview without an, uh, an update on your move. So can you uh, give us the current uh, operational picture of uh, Operation San, uh, San Clemente to Las Vegas? If me moving to Las Vegas from San Clemente was like the Pacific War in World War II, we are on... We're on um, we're on uh, Hacksaw Ridge in Okinawa right now. Oh no, kidding! We're almost we oh, we're at we're at Half Moon Hill in Shuri <laughs> Castle. We almost got the enemy beat. It's just a couple more days, and it'll be V it'll be VJ Day in the Kenny household. The uh, now, do you ever see yourself after this experience moving again? No, I'm gonna the next move I make is gonna be from a breathing person to a dead person into a casket or a, a urn depending on how Lori wants to get rid of me <laughs> the, i'm uh, not doing this shit again <laughs> moving is miserable man yeah. um moving is miserable um i want to talk about um the our current posture um in iraq um where the hell are we What's still left there? I was thinking about that the the other day when I saw the news of this. Um, when I saw the news of this, and uh, so, what is uh, what do we have going on in Iraq still? Yeah, it's difficult to divine because right. we're not getting a lot of specificity from the national command authority about what what their attitude and what their ambitions are there. Um, ostensibly, we're supposed to we're still there because of the the possible regeneration of ISIS. However, um, what really seems to be happening is uh, we're, we're a high-tension atmosphere between the U.S., the small, minuscule U.S. forces there, and the, uh, in Syria, actually, and, you know, and in uh, western Iraq, between the Shia militia groups, which obviously are heavily influenced at worst, and absolutely owned, you know, at best by the Iranian government. They're basically an arm of the Iranian government. And, uh, and then what, uh, you know, uh, Syria's uh, armed forces that they still, that they still have there. And in there, in between is the U.S. Now, apparently we did uh, some retaliatory strikes, you know, against um, the Shia militia groups. And now they're actually, they're shooting artillery at each other as we speak this morning. Uh, and this is open source on the news, uh, you know, reported that uh, they're trading artillery fire and rocket fire. So, you know, again, I don't know where we are with this thing. I know that uh, we are in a very precarious position and because we are heavily outnumbered and outgunned there now. The um, All right, let me just read you some posture statements. By January 2021, the U.S. had reduced its presence in Iraq to 2,500 troops. Uh, moreover, Christopher Miller, former acting defense secretary, noted that even with the reduced presence, the United States still continued to have a counterterrorism platform in Iraq to support partner forces with air power and intelligence. Um, much of that centered where? In in Erbil and in, um, in Al-Assad? 
Yeah, the air platforms, yeah. Right. In February, two people were killed and 13 additional, including an American service member, following a rocket attack on the U.S.-led coalition's base in Erbil by, by suspected Iranian-backed militia. Um, on 18 February, NATO Secretary Jens Stoltenberg announced the alliance would expand its mission to train Iraqi security forces at the request of the Iraqi government. Uh, Stoltenberg said NATO would gradually increase personnel in the country from 500 to 4,000 and expand its presence at more facilities outside of the Baghdad area. Um, On March 23rd, the Iraqi government formally requested a resumption of bilateral security dialogue with the United States expected to take place that month. After a third round of strategic dialogue that concluded on 7 April, the U.S., led coalition confirmed it would continue training and advising the Iraqi military while withdrawing combat forces from the country, citing increasing capacity of Iraqi security forces with the timetable. On April 22nd, CENTCOM Commander Frank McKenzie welcomed NATO's planned expanded role in training and denied the prospect of an approaching total U.S. withdrawal from Iraq, saying, we are going to stay in Iraq to finish the fight with ISIS at the behest of the Iraqi government. Mackenzie also cited the continued threat of Iran-backed militias posed that they posed to coalition to, and affirmed his belief that ousting U.S. forces and their allies from the region was a policy goal of Iran. So, so you so out in western Iraq, you still have major American intelligence center and air center at Al-Assad, yeah? Yeah, well, um, yes, I, I just don't know. The Marine footprint's pretty small. Right, right, right. But the American footprints, Al-Assad became one of the places uh, for for some good reasons. One, it's remote yeah. as hell, right? Yeah. So it's, it's relatively easy to secure. Um, and uh, two, I mean, it's been built up since 2003, um, mm-hmm. So it's, I would imagine, it's like going to uh, 29 Palms uh, with all, yeah. I mean, it's as American as 29 Palms now. Uh, it's let, got let, a huge airstrip facility, and in, in, uh, it already had that, but you're right. We built it and improved it, and you could fly anything in and out of there. Right. So the uh, so let's talk about, uh, we, we evidently reacted to a drone threat. Um, that is that if you if you just read open source stuff, is becoming more and more formidable in terms of their ability to carry um, ordnance, uh, their ability to fly in swarms. So, can you can you describe the threat that this evidently was a response to? Well, yeah, the threat is uh, that uh, places with uh, mature facilities for executing air ops and also satellite type ops like uh you know working with uh with the technology that can see stuff from you know from space the uh but mostly you know we're talking air air piloted aircraft their big fear is uh that a swarm of these drones very cheap drones with with small payloads of explosives could uh could do damage and uh so consequently you know they're the U.S. Air Force especially is worried about that. And uh, one thing that we've telegraphed on a national strategic level, Mac, uh, ironically with the coronavirus thing, if you look at uh, the way that 
Teddy, you know, the Teddy Roosevelt uh, um, incident and the incident with the, as a matter of fact, with the 15th Mew, the Navy part of that, the, uh, the services and particularly the Navy and the Air Force have basically what Stonewall Jackson would say, taken counsel of their fears and they way overreacted to the threat that may have been, uh, you know, from the pandemic. And they basically, their, their safety measures to deal with it were actually worse than the actuality of the disease itself. Right. And so people are looking at that, I think, on the other side. And these people who are, they, because they're, you know, they're not as well equipped or as, you know, have the technology we have, they, they have to deal with what they have, i.e. cheap drones and things like that and IEDs and, you know, their type of uh, things they use for their tactics. They have to, uh, they're looking at this. So the United States can be intimidated by the threat of a nebulous uh, weapon system. And so even though there hasn't, it hasn't really been realized where a swarm, swarm of, that's what's in everybody's mind's eye. The idea of a swarm of, uh, of drones loaded with, uh, you know, suitcase size, you know, amounts of explosive hitting an airfield, hitting, uh, you know, uh, an Intel base and, uh, and causing havoc and, and not having actually an effective deterrence to that. So I think that's what, that is what's going on now. The use of, uh, not just the, the actuality of it, but the, but the, uh, basically the overcautiousness of U.S. forces now. I mean, it's one thing to be afraid of what is; it's another thing to be afraid of what might be. So, but let's talk about um, real fears in the aviation community. So, um, the idea that you could drop a small shape charge from. Let's just say you launched a swarm of 50 drones, right? Uh, think about the investment in a, in a, say, all the F-18s that are sitting on somebody's flight line. And I don't pick, a, pick an air base around the, around the mm-hmm. world um, or, you know, God forbid, F-35. Right. Um, that drone swarm, if, if, 50 per, if, if 30% of them hit their target, with some kind of you know very crude shape charge, you're talking about you're talking about putting somebody's you know you launch fifty you know so that means fifteen hit their targets and let's just say there's twelve aircraft yeah you just rendered incapable you know uh, billions of dollars of aircraft yeah you're and, right it's like a and so like that that threat of Henderson Field during the Guadalcanal campaign right that threat that is no go that, over and they they fuck up the airfield. The grunts and the you know the, the air wingers to the first Mardiv and the you know the Maw run out there and they report repair this stuff as fast as they can to get the airplanes up again. So that's the uh, that's the reality. What they could do, they could cause a, a huge uh, and they could tie that in with other operations they have to make our air less you know uh, powerful than it is now. Yes. I, mean, I don't know if they could actually destroy it. You know, no, but you don't have to, right? All you have to do is because the technology is so sophisticated, right? The technology is so sophisticated. All you have to do is degrade it. I mean, punch a hole in the wing. Yeah. (laughs) Now what? We 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 have uh, you know we have great schools and we do great you know uh, you know exercises where you know these generals wax eloquent about this tactic and that tactic. But the reality of how we operate in Iraq and Afghanistan is every threat that uh, was posed by the enemy was, uh, you know, we just, we, we swallowed the bait 
hook, line, and sinker. Like because there's IEDs on the roads, if the, if there was a bad weather and and medevacs couldn't fly, they would confine. In 2006, they would confine everybody to their fobs until the weather broke, and you and you could get. In other words, um, these little jerk offs with these, you know. $200 IEDs uh, were basically holding the mightiest power in the world at bay, you know, because of fears that were perceived in the minds of uh, people who didn't want to have to answer tough questions from reporters and stuff. And uh, so I think we're still suffering from that. The, um, but, right, um, if you're a planner or you're a commanding officer, that's that threat of, a drone swarm dropping a shape charge on your parked right. aircraft, right? Doing some kind of damage that renders this thing, you know, um, non-mission capable. That's yeah. not, that's a real. Yeah. That's... Nobody, nobody wants to be the Admiral Kimmel. Right. <laughs> right. Of, uh, you know, of the, the force there in, in Western Iraq for sure. Right. Right. So, so anyway, so I just want, so talk, I, I want to talk about the drone technology. We, you and I were talking before we came on about kind of the men against tanks. And, you know, the, okay. the world sees this spiral, hypersonic missiles, right, until somebody creates a jammer, right, that, yep. that, 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 that throws the hypersonic missile, you know, as fast as it's going, right, senses the launch, right, and then mm-hmm. shoots something up that bumps it a degree and renders it, you know. Yep. A, a a very quickly moving dart that's going to miss the target. Uh, so it's uh, talk about that. That the, at some point, you know, with these drones, somebody, some little goofball and in, in living in their mother's basement right now is going to mm-hmm. say, "Hey, what about this?" Yep. And it's going to be a watershed event. So talk about that spiral between yeah. b- between I mean, these like technologies the, during the uh, you know, first century AD. The the primary the, the big uh, the, the weapon systems most feared was the mounted knight, you know, mounted guy on a horseback with stirrups in his horse that he could lean into his, his weapon systems. It was just unbeatable. And um, the English had people who developed this long bow, very powerful um, bow and super accurate. If you knew how to use it, it took your whole life. Took from shooting that thing since you were a kid to be able to shoot it. And somebody had the idea if we put these guys in a mass and instead of shooting direct fire, we do like plunging fire. We basically do it like indirect fire for some reason. They didn't know, you know, the, the, uh, you know, they didn't know that many uh, that aspects of trigonometry and everything. Then all they knew is those arrows, when they hit their apogee at 90 degrees and came down, they'd go right through a guy and his horse. So basically this very cheap weapon systems, weapon system negated a very expensive one. And uh, and that led and then and throw in there with that the uh, you know the emergence of gunpowder uh, gunpowder and you know and, and direct fire weapons there it basically ruined that whole or ended that you know that uh, that uh, pr- supremacy of the mounted horsemen and then you look again like we talked you know uh, if you look at uh, the uh, men against tanks I mean in order to break out you know the, the technology people are desperately always trying to match their tech, their their tactics 
to the new technology we have. And then after during World War One, the answer to that was we'll have tanks that can bust us out of the trenches. And this tank's an unbeatable thing. It's got a huge gun. It's it's impervious to uh, to anything that uh, you know forces would have to put against it. Until they invent shaped charge shoulder fired weapons, where one guy or two or three guys can can negate the effects of uh, like a Panzer tank or of a Sherman tank or something like that. And so, and that's going to eventually, you know, become a significant feature because it's way cheaper to make a bunch of RPGs or AT4s than it is to make a bunch of M1A1s or T82s, you know, right, or T, right. T80s. So, and it goes back and forth. And then with us, with the IED thing, we basically spent ourselves silly trying to invent impervious vehicles to IEDs. At every one of the, your basic MRAP or MATV that we ended with, like in 2013, 2014 in Afghanistan, um, probably cost more for one of those things than 100 IEDs they would put together that would still you know, have an effect on it. And so in that war, the guy who has the cheaper um, weapon system is going to win. He's going to win the war of of economics. It's kind of like has applications to our Star Wars technology of the eighties. We, you know, we we basically made the Soviet Union think that we had the ability to shoot all their incoming missiles at us while they're in the air, and uh, they believed it, or at least they thought. And this is a common military um, common military philosophy because we don't know for sure. We're going to assume that the, we're going to assume the worst. So the Soviets, in assuming the worst, spent themselves, you know, into oblivion and they collapsed economically. And uh, that's the danger of uh, of falling into this. It becomes like you know when we have Will on, he talks about poker. It becomes then a poker game um, between civilizations and nations, where there's bluff, there's real, there's real capability. There's uh, there's the ex- exaggerated capability and then there's the hidden capability. And that's what these guys are engaged in now. And I don't think we're doing that good, to tell you the truth. Matt. Well, let me tell you, I mean, I thought we had had a watershed moment um, a year and six months ago uh, holding Iran accountable for that which their proxies do. Right. Uh, with, you know, when we when we attack General Suleimani yeah. and. um and it seems to me when you when you play this stupid whack-a-mole game, mm-hmm. I mean, and and again, I think we've all seen that. Um, we saw what happened in Israel after you know President Biden gets elected, and all of a sudden the timing of all these rockets going into Israel, uh, based on statements that have come out of the Biden administration. Iranian-sponsored organizations feel more, you know, they feel more freedom of movement. And so to me, um, now this this current dialogue at whatever level it's taking place about uh, re, you know, taking another look at the Iran agreement um, is seems to be emboldening other people. And now we're going back to, right, we're trying to cr- cut a nuclear agreement and they're trying to kill Americans with drones. That's yep. right. And so to me, that's a loser strategy. If you don't connect the two, and if you don't message to them, look, I will shut all this shit off, and we'll go back to killing each other mm-hmm. straight up, and you, you're going to lose that, right? Yeah. And I'm going to isolate your. I'm going to further isolate your economy, 
and you can continue to to, to drown in your own shit. That's yeah. that's what I find to me the most disturbing part about this is this is the game the Iranians want to play. We fucking try to kill you and your guys to make headlines in the United States so that you'll get completely out of the region, right? And then you hit our hit our proxies and never yeah. conf- and never confront us. To me, that's a loser game. Yep. And you know, uh, President Biden has a history of of um, self. How can I put it? You know, re- not doing strikes like what you talked about, like for, like the Suleimani type strike. Him, he's usually against that type of stuff. If you know, if all the other legal. Um, well, who was it? Gates said this guy's been on the wrong side yeah, he's of every. On the wrong end of every, like, every... Remember, he didn't want to go after Osama bin Laden because right. Osama bin Laden was basically in the retirement community for, you know, Pakistani army officers, and uh, and, you know, I, President Obama was was uh, had the courage to overcome to overrule people who were talking that way right. and take that guy out, and that sent a good message, I thought, right. and I think President Trump he, he didn't think twice. Okay, this guy. We we told him what what not to do. We told him, you know, there would be consequences, real consequences, and uh, and he went ahead and pulled the trigger on that guy without it seems seemingly without hesitation. Well, and so again, I don't I, know if that would, would would happen with the current command authority. Well, and again, I think when you see this kabuki dance that we're doing, so they your your sponsored units, and to me. If along with that airstrike, a cable didn't go to the Swiss to say, hey, deliver this to the Iranians and say, this cannot continue to happen. And if it happens again, the next time we're coming for Iranian assets, we're going to sink half your fucking Navy. You know, and again, we saw the whole thing cool out after the Soleimani thing. And now we're going to go play whack-a-mole again and play their game, their stupid fucking proxy game. Yeah, and and Qui Bono, who benefits from that? People who make... People who invent uh, technology, people, you know, it's just, it, it just goes on and on. You're right. And it's, it's, it's uh, every once in a while I have a U.S. serviceman killed, you know, it just goes on and on right. and with right. no. Right, right. And, and it's like, we're, we're not going to hold the people accountable that we need right. to hold accountable to bring this thing to a head. And mm-hmm. so to me, and, and that's, that's a, a chosen path that an American government you know, allows. Yep. Right. And, and, you know, I guess we would be saying, look, you know, we understand our own, our own security posture. We understand, you know, that this is a big deal. When, when, when we start to see drone swarms and somebody's doing that, right. And so much of American support for the Iraqi military is aviation centered. So if they take your drones out, I mean, and we're talking about whatever, whatever version of the Reaper we have over there. Let me just tell you, Matt, the Reaper is money. I mean, those yeah. things, go. they're up there, they watch, they shoot, they stay up forever. I yeah. mean, and if they're, if they're fucking with your ability to do that, that's fucking with your ability to, to sustain the Iraqi military and therefore your commitment to them. That's, a, that's yeah. not I mean, a small the fucking deal. to replace the predator is amazing. You're right. It's, like, amazing. Yeah, and so to me... You know. Um, yeah, and, and so if you're not message sending to the Iranians, hey, look, do not fuck around over here. Right. And so anyway, yeah, it's like instead of trying to like invent something that uh, that deals with swarms of drones. I mean, it's good to have that. Find out the garage, the guy who owns the garage, they keep the drones in and shoot him in the head while he's buying kebabs in the market, you know, 
And uh, that sends a message, you know what I mean? Right. And then sink every boat that whoever transported. This guy transported a dozen of them, sink all eight of his boats. Yeah, I'm a big boat sinker fan too, yeah. Well, no, you know, and again, I mean, it's the Israeli. It's the Israeli. Different ways. Right, the Israeli response. It's disproportionate. If you want to fuck with us, you're going to pay. So you best not do that. you want to stop behavior. The last thing you should do is proportionate response. I always thought that was stupid. It is. Who was he told this? Yes, or was a, he, the, they responded with proportional force. Then you'll, you're going to constantly have something you need to respond to because it should be disproportionate if you're trying to send a message. If you hit us a little, we're going to hit you hard. Right. You know? Right. And, and if you're interested in stopping this, right? Right. And Right. Unless yeah. you're interested, if you're interested in looking like a measured doofus, then to, yeah. Yeah, measured. So you want to look measured relative to Iran to who, for what reason? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this should be an audience, a relatively limited audience. This message is for the fundamentalist leaders of the nation of Iran, right? As 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 American leaders have said, hey – the American people have no quarrel with the Iranian people. I mean, there's historically been, you know, you, hell, Jeff, you, you you lived there. You worked there. I mean, yeah. there's historically been great affection between Iranian people and American people. Yep. And yep. Uh, and so that's not the quarrel. The quarrel is with the people that lead your country and and, and the, the conflict that they seek as they seek to expand their influence over the Middle East, over yep. the over the Arab world. And you know, so. uh, in 1972, they used fuel air explosive for the first time to help stave off the North Vietnamese attack. Explain, and explain what that is, because the first fuel time air I, explosive is this yeah. like aerosol that's released of like about a thousand. You, know, you drop a bomb that has this stuff, and it's released, and it comes down like a misty curtain, and then it ignites the air. And if you're in a bunker or a fortified position, it'll still kill you. It'll kill you. And um, so if what, you can imagine this mist coming down, like so this yeah, this really fog, crazy. and then all of a sudden somebody lights a match, and the fog yeah. turns yeah, into so an... That's exactly what it's like. And Ray, General Smith and, General, and Colonel Ripley and, and General Livingston, when they're all colonels, the regimental commander, they gave a PME about the Easter offensive, right? And they talked about it. But the reason I bring it up is when we had the hostage, one of the, the, one of the things they were going to do to isolate and contain the objective area, the embassy in Tehran, in order to get the hostages out, was to fuel air explosives, the the, uh, the densely you know constructed streets around uh, the embassy, which was at the intersection of uh, Takajamshi and Roosevelt Avenue, named after President Theodore Roosevelt, <laughs> by the way, and uh, and drop those buildings, which would make it so the you know, there couldn't be a reaction from, uh, you know, Iranian, you know, revolutionary forces. And we could, you know, fly our own stuff in because we had total air superiority. President Carter turned it down. The reason he did, and, you know, in some ways it would have been a, you know, cataclysmic loss of Iranian life. Now, at that point, most Americans are like, fuck Iranian life. You know, after 400 days of uh, having the hostages in there, they're ready to get them out. So, but I'm just saying, because it's, you know, a lot of times taking counsel of your fears or taking counsel of, of how you think you'll be perceived te- keeps us from protecting our people and from uh, from being uh, from doing things that will actually, you know, uh, discourage enemy action against us.
Well, because of the love if, of proportionate response. Right. And if you look at the, what happened after the Soleimani thing, yeah. oddly enough, everything got really quiet relative to Iran. Yeah. What what happened? Oh, shit. You mean the, the United States is going to come for us yeah. when one of our proxies do something? Okay. Everybody just needs to cool the fuck out. <laughs> right, because yeah. we can't the have that. Are thinking we could be next. Right. Well, and look, I don't believe in coincidences. So if somebody thinks that's a coincidence that that Suleimani gets whacked and then everything kind of gets quiet for a pretty long period of time, then you know you're a fool. You're an absolute fool because you know that's not the way it works. That's not the way it works. So anyway, all right. Well, I know you got to go to work. I appreciate your time this morning, and I just wanted to kind of paint the. These airstrikes, everybody sees them. We've been doing airstrikes forever. Um, I liken them to the body count in Vietnam. Ooh, another airstrike. But there, yeah. this one is a little bit nuanced uh, when they mentioned uh, a drone threat. So I wanted to kind of footnote that, kind of update where we are with our presence in in Iraq, and then talk about uh, talk about the foreign policy that believes in proportionalism and not in deterrent. You know over response so jeffrey kenny thank you very much we'll talk to you thank on, you for having me yeah we'll talk to you on thursday you bet there you have it the man the myth the legend jeff kenny that'll do it on a uh, little discussion about drones um yeah it's no joke it's, it was it's interesting my trips out to the air out to Pacific Air Force you know get a chance to talk about those guys to those guys and what they're doing and and uh, you know I've, I've, I've heard that come up just in terms of you know an emerging security threat I mean if you can imagine that you know at the beginning of hostilities somebody takes out a third of your air force while it's conus bound before it even gets there. Because they have drone swarms and you don't have a means of, you know, of stopping it. Yeah. So how do you stop it? You know, do you, do you put aircraft in enclosed containers? How do you protect them? Right. I mean, can you protect them electronically? Does it have to, should it be a combination of both? So again, I mean, when, when, and I mean, think about American, you know, military power. So much of it comes out of the sky. Um, you know, so much of the decisive element is our ability to do combined operations, air, you know, sea, land, all of that. Well, when you take the aviation component out of it, you know, um, that's a significant degradation of the entire ball of wax. So, uh, yeah, you can see it's no joke. But um, I thought, and, and, and I, you know, sitting here listening to it like you did, um, to me, the most interesting part of that discussion is when we get to the part of the effect of holding Iran accountable for their proxies. And that's to me, as I thought about this, um, sitting here this morning, um, the thing that bothers me the most. When they do that, and we, we know it's their proxies, Iran has, has to pay for it. The disagreement is between the, then between the United States and Iran, not some yo-yos in the desert of Syria. 
And I'll tell you what, if you want to play their game, then all you do is you empower them. So with that said, thanks for listening on Tuesday. As I said, um, a third installment of Post Traumatic Winning Seminar starts tonight. Not too late to join. So if you know somebody that uh, you think should be a part of it, let them know and tell them to contact me. And uh, go to the website, start clicking on links. They all lead to me eventually. And, uh, and be happy to help them. Anyway, uh, I'm Mike McNamara, this All Marine Radio on a Tuesday. Have a great day. Don't be afraid to change somebody's life. And if I can help you do that, by all means, let me know. I'm out. <laughs>